0: You could argue, as I have more than enough times as part of my film history lecture, that no matter its actual narrative content, every movie is a ghost story. Gemma Files, Experimental film. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie.
1: And I'm your other host, Rachel. So what do we love almost as much as horror books? The answer? Horror movies. So lights, camera, action. We're recommending horror stories about fictional films on this episode of Books in the Freezer.
0: This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks, so if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash books in the freezer. Happy listening!
1: So we're recording this episode a few weeks early, so it's actually still October, which means that we have just completed the Books in the Freezer Readathon. And I'm actually surprised we haven't really talked about it beforehand, like when we were actually in the midst of the readathon, we didn't talk about our reading too much. So how did the readathon go for you?
0: It went okay. I didn't complete it. So I had a book for each category and I finished three and a half. (laughs) So not bad, considering I don't have great luck with readathons. For my challenge about a book by or featuring a person of color, I know we both read The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor LaValle. So how'd you like it? I
1: thought it was well-written and I appreciated how it dealt with race in America, but I didn't really connect with it. So that's my answer. How about you? Did you like it more <laughs> than I did?
0: I liked it. I just think I need more context because I don't think you and I are big Lovecraft fans and that's a retelling of a Lovecraft story. And so I think when you read it, having read that story, you see the deliberate changes that were made and kind of the new spin on it. So it was like a really interesting kind of historical fiction, urban fantasy, but it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I listened to it as an audiobook. Oh, that would be
1: good on audio. Yeah, I just felt like I was kind of reading it from like the outside looking in through a window Mm -hmm. I just thought it was like interesting but I just yeah didn't connect again with it and maybe a bit my Canadian roots that like it felt like a very American
0: historical story and yeah wasn't my favorite so what else did you read for the readathon For the book that was mentioned on the podcast, one that you recommended I check out, I read Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant. I went into this a little hesitant because I'm not big on creature horror and everyone has sold this to me as killer mermaids. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. I'll give it a shot. And I don't know why I doubted you because I love everything Shannon McGuire slash Mira Grant does. And of course, like I was reading this book and she just does such good character work that I cared about all of these characters so much.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, the characters are amazing in this one. I was a little nervous how you'd feel about all the science in this one because while it's horror, it's definitely like science based horror. Usually, when she writes under Mira Grant, it's a lot of science fiction. So it deals heavily with the biology of the mermaids, which made it feel so real to me. But I know you can be a little bit hit or miss with science fiction. So I was like, please like it, please like it, please like it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that didn't bother me. It was a long audiobook. It was almost 20 hours. Wow. Oh, like 17, 17 and a half ish. She really took her time introducing these characters. And I mean, it's a while before we even get on the expedition and really meet everyone. And it definitely had those aspects of a horror novel. And listen, there was a certain character that was introduced. And then when she said what her specialty was, what her job, like field of study was, Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, honey, you're the first one gone. (laughs) I can tell you that right now. And I was right.
1: (laughs) I know what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) I was like, this is not going to end well for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This wasn't your first horror book. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It gave me those like giddy feelings of like, uh-oh. Oh,
1: Oh, I love that. I'm so happy how much you liked it. If you haven't yet, my next recommendation, if you're going to go with Mira Grant, is check out her feed series. It's a zombie book, but it's a zombie book I recommend to people who don't like zombie books. And I really think you'd like
0: that one. So I'm going to push that one on you next. Okay, because that's another one I've been avoiding because of the Z word. Yeah. So since I took your advice and I went ahead with creature horror that I usually don't like, I will give Mira Grant zombie book a chance. For a book that's being adapted, I read the graphic novel Lock and Key finally. I really enjoyed it. I just read the first volume. I'm currently making my way through the second volume right now. But yeah, I gave it like five stars. It was a lot darker than I thought it would be. I didn't really know the reason why the family was moving into this house. <laughs> so it kind of opens up with like a, a heart open that way. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's definitely a bloody read for sure. But I love the little son, Bo. He's just so cute. So it's not all
0: dark and blood and guts. No, it had a lot of like fun stuff. Like we're living in a spooky house that has like kind of spooky powers. Yeah, it was really good. I'm really interested to see how that gets adapted.
1: Oh, me too. That's definitely one of my favorite horror graphic novels. It's just so well done. I love everything Joe Hill touches. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you said you had a half, so where does a half <laughs> come into this readathon?
0: The half is the making of Gabriel Davenport by Beverly Lee. This is the first in what is so far a trilogy. I think she just released her third book in the series like this week as we speak. And it's really good. I kind of went into this, honestly, not knowing what the book was about at all. Like I had a completely different idea of like where this book was going to go. And it was great because I was very surprised by like the turn it took and like what's been going on. So I kind of suggested to people to do that. So I'm not going to give too much plot away because I think you should go into it pretty blind.
1: Okay. You always intrigue me when you say that. <laughs> it works on me every time. I'm like, ooh, what could it be about?
0: Yeah. And then I didn't do a, a short story collection. I didn't get to that one. So fail on my part there.
1: Yeah. Is it bad that if we fail our own readathon? <laughs> but to be fair, you handle all our social media. So you had to host it, which is a lot of work. So I'm going to give you a pass. Okay. So for myself, I mentioned for a book by or about a person of color, I also read The Ballad of Black Tom. Otherwise, I read Mind of Winter by Laura Kashiki for horror by a female author. That's one I've wanted to read since Chelsea recommended way back Mm -hmm. when she was a guest on our queer horror episode. Have you gotten around to this one yet? I know it's
0: on your TBR it is on my tbr
1: it's all told from this mother's perspective and it's set on christmas day i'm going to talk about it more in a future episode but needless to say i really liked it i wasn't sure how i felt about it when i was reading it but once i got to the end i was like wow wow this is my kind of book so yeah i would recommend that one i just thought it was great so i'll be talking about that one in a future episode so stay tuned for short story collection, I originally planned on going with an Ellen Datlow collection, but then I just kind of wanted something a little more fun, and I find her collections can be more on the literary side. So instead, I went with Hark! The Herald Angels Scream, edited by Christopher Golden, which is, as it sounds, all about Christmas horror, and I think we both have copies via NetGalley, which is a review mm-hmm. site. And it was just fun, campy Christmas horror, which was a really weird thing to read in October, but I enjoyed it. So that was for short stories. And then I only read one more book, but thankfully it worked for two of the challenges. It has been made into an adaptation and has been recommended on the podcast by, of course, you. And that is Let the Right One In. And I know you were really nervous for me to pick (laughs) this one up because you've gushed about it. It's probably, can I say, one of your favorite horror books? Yes, definitely. And yeah, it's hard having someone else read a favorite, especially because while you love it, I think you were not sure if it'd be a Rachel book and I can see why it's not the kind of horror book I would normally pick out for myself I can see why you like it so much because it's heavily character focused it's beautiful and I really did like it as the short so you can kind of breathe easy I just thought the relationship between Oscar and Ellie was just so sweet and so well done I can see both why people say it's not a horror novel just because it's so relationship focused but there was so many distractions. Disturbing parts in this book that I've got to say it is definitely a horror novel I am backing you up on that at least putting it in the fridge maybe freezer for parts of it I don't know where people say oh that's not scary because I mean to each their own but there were some disturbing moments even the bullying scenes really bothered me like people are terrible and children are terrible so I do recommend that one as well
0: yeah, it's one of those things where if you are, I think, only focused on Ellie as a character, like, Ellie doesn't commit, I think, as many atrocities. And I think the ones she does are kind of purely to survive. I mean, not completely. There are some scenes. Mm-hmm. But the periphery characters, I think, commit atrocities. And it's really one of those, like you know, the monsters aren't even the bad guys, it's people and how evil they can be. And yeah, those are some of the most intense bullying scenes I have ever read. And then when you're reading it, you know that there's murders happening. But when you're reading it, you're kind of also reading from like an omniscient third person, like how they're happening.
1: Oh, exactly.
0: And those scenes, I was like biting my fingernails like... "Ah!"
1: (laughs) yeah me too i was just holding my breath which is always a good thing when it just pulls me right in so even though i only read four books instead of five i consider this a win i'm pretty happy how my readathon went which is rare for me because like you i do very badly in readathons i do not like sticking to a particular list of books i like to read what i want and the last two weeks was nutty so i'm impressed that i got four books done yay good job thanks (laughs) So even though the readathon's done, we're still in the middle of our October Instagram
0: challenge, Freezer Book October. So how's that going for you? I mean, me personally, I would say probably not great, but everyone else is doing Amazing. We have so many talented people that are participating in the challenge and I love every day clicking on the hashtag and going through all of the recent posts because people are just so creative and they take such great pictures. I am always blown away. So really good in that sense.
1: (laughs) I agree. Everyone is so talented. And yeah, really creative. Like even with the prompts, I'll read them and only think of one direction. Like one of them said bargain. So I was like, okay, I'll feature a book that I got for a cheap price. And then maybe it was even you who thought to do like a bargain with the devil. And I was like, I didn't even think of that. Personally, I'm really inconsistent. I've probably only been posting like three or four days out of the week. I'm hoping to up my game. During the week, I'm just so bad. By the time I get home, it's like... Like dark and I'm trying to like shove a book next to like my supper and it just I don't know. I think I get self-conscious and it doesn't always land on the internet if the picture looks too bad. But I think the prompts are just great. You came up with them and they're just like really open and it's just makes it, yeah, really fun to see all the different interpretations and all the gorgeous pictures. So kudos to everyone. I wish there was a way to kind of show this on the podcast. So definitely if you're not following us on Instagram, it's a great way to check out like all of our creative friends because they do amazing things
0: on there. Yeah, a lot of bookstagram pros.
1: So maybe it's time we segue over to the actual episode conversation, and as we mentioned at the top, we're going to be recommending horror novels about horror movies, and I'll just start by saying I really enjoyed this topic. I have been in the longest reading slump, and this really pulled me out of it a bit. I had so much fun, and so I thought it would be good to kind of talk about why we like these kind of books so much, because they completely worked for me. I loved preparing for this episode. It was a blast. When I think about books, about movies, I think It kind of goes back to the same way that readers naturally love books about books. So it's no surprise that as horror fans, we naturally enjoy reading books about amazing fictional movies, since a lot of horror fans, especially you, maybe a little more than me, watch a lot of horror movies as well. The downside with this topic is that I spent a lot of time wishing that the movies I was reading about in these books were real, and so I could actually watch them. What did you like about this topic? Did it work for you too? Did you enjoy it as much as I did?
0: I do. I really enjoy all this. And to what you were saying about wishing that the movies were real, I know a couple of these books have merch.
1: Really? (laughs) I know that
0: there's actual, like, fictional movie posters to kind of go along with some of them. Yeah, especially for one that I'm going to talk about. I know that the author had movie posters made for, like, the fictional movies that were talked about in the book.
1: Oh, you'll have to let me know which one when we get to it. Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah, there really is something about reading a book about a movie. And I found that it's difficult because I feel like when you write media within media, you have to be able to write it well. Like if you're watching a show where stand-up comedians are doing stand-up comedy and everyone says this person is funny, then when you as the viewer watch their set, Mm -hmm. you're expecting them to be funny. Yeah, You're expecting this to be like the funniest stand-up routine you have ever heard. So there is a bit of that like when the author is saying like oh like this director did really gruesome stuff and they really pushed the limits like when movie scenes are described like I'm gonna have those expectations so it's really interesting to see how it works within that medium and I mean I found that that was the case you know every time like I was never like let down with that and I found that a lot of these come with a particular love for a certain subgenre and I found a lot of b-horror like a lot of throwback like gory kind of campy movies that over time have kind of developed a cult following was kind of a trend that I saw. What about you?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. So many B movies, which we're going to be talking about for sure. And maybe it's why I liked it so much. But I noticed that a lot of these books tend to be quite gory with a lot of mature content, (laughs) which is funny that that's what I love so much about them. Because I'd say that the horror movies in these, they weren't so much these like blockbuster films like that would be produced by these large studios, but like you mentioned, are more like B horror. So it's more about these like crazy cult directors that are just doing these like bizarre things. And I think it just made it so much fun for me. I do enjoy like a darker story, and like you said, you have these authors that are really trying to push it to the limit. That if they're gonna say, oh, this director writes horrifying scenes, then they have to write them, whether or not you see it on the screen they have to describe them to you and I don't know I loved every gruesome minute judge me for what it is but (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a big reason why I love this topic so much
0: Definitely. And I felt like these books were written with such love. Like I definitely felt like a lot of these were such love letters to the genre. And I loved when we're following certain directors and you're following their specific legacy and people who are just really big fans of their work and the effect of the horror genre on people and the nostalgia for specifically those types of movies.
1: Oh, I completely agree. So this is kind of a tough question to ask, but I was wondering, are there any horror movies that you can think of that are about making horror movies or maybe feature fictional horror movies within them that you could think of? It's kind of a weird niche topic. I don't actually know if those movies exist.
0: There's a few. It was tough to think of, but I found that they exist in a lot of slasher sequels that I remember. Yay. And this is all just going from my memory, but I know you watched the first Scream. So Scream in the second one opens up with, you know, a fictional version of the movie Scream. And Scream is already so meta, but they really keep going with the sequels because the second one opens up with people at a movie theater watching the fictional Scream movie called Stab. (laughs) with the ghost face killer that was like a movie that was made about the events that happened in the first movie and then i think in the third one you're actually like on the set and following the actors as they're like making another horror movie
1: that sounds ridiculously fun i'm so excited to get to
0: those And then I don't know if you ever watched Urban Legends, but I felt like when I was growing up, that was like the sleepover movie that we all watched was Urban Legends and Urban Legends Final Cut. So Urban Legends Final Cut is the sequel to Urban Legends and that I believe happens on the set of a horror movie that they're making.
1: Well, that sounds fun too.
0: So yeah, those are the ones that I thought of. I remember it being kind of a big thing in like 90s slasher sequels.
1: Yeah, I guess it goes really in tandem with those like very self-aware horror movies. I'm sure there's others out there. So if anyone can think of some, do send us a message. I Love to know.
0: Yeah. Well, because it's different from like found footage films because like the Blair Witch Project is like a kind of a different thing. And like the Paranormal Activities, like found footage is a different kind of, you know, fictional movie.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It's kind of its own subgenre. Yeah, for sure. Well, we might as well start talking about these books because I really want to start recommending things. (laughs) So my first pick is Horror Show by Greg Kinn. And that is spelled K-I-H-N. And this is a story about a reporter for Monster Magazine named Clint Stockburn, who gets the opportunity to interview a legendary horror movie director from the 1950s named Landis Woodley. And right from the beginning of the book, you know that Landis is a bit of a reclusive eccentric, which is probably one of my favorite things when it comes to characters. And he lives alone in this house and basically spends his time scaring away potential visitors. And even the postal service does not want to deal with him. So when Clint gets the opportunity, opportunity to interview him he's understandably very excited because this man is very well known and very renowned and right at the beginning of the interview Clint jokingly tries to clear up this rumor that the director used a real corpse in one of his movies however Landis ends up saying oh yeah of course I went to a morgue and we borrowed some bodies so yes that actually happened which surprise surprise immediately caught my attention that I was like okay this book is gonna be fun Most of the book is set back in the 1950s and is about Landis recounting how he was able to create those different films. And it doesn't focus on just one film in particular, but goes through several different films that he worked on over the years. And what I love so much about it is that, just like what you said a moment ago... It's basically a love letter to anyone who loves horror films. I found myself just wanting to highlight everything and just save everything that I was reading as a quote. There were so many good lines. I just adored so many things. He was just commenting about horror movies and the people that watch them and why we watch them. So, I'm really excited for you to read this just because I think you're someone who really appreciates that kind of thing. It reminds me a lot of what you love so much about Kill Creek and it was just so much fun. So self-aware. Definitely plays a lot of homage to those classic monster movies because it's focusing more on older horror films. Again, like said in the 1950s. Scariness rating, I did find it more room temperature but still really enjoyed it. I think it's just so well done I just really loved it and again pulled me out of that reading slump so that is horror show by Greg Kinn
0: definitely this was a book that I picked up on a recent haul totally unaware that you were going to read it for this challenge so I am really excited to hear that you liked it
1: yeah I could definitely see you enjoying it so I beat you to the punch and stole it for this episode
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh man I love books that are for horror lovers for sure
1: Yeah, this whole one, I was like, yes, 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 the whole time. I feel so
0: validated. (laughs) Exactly. So my next book was one that had been on my TBR forever. And I am so glad that I finally read it because I loved it. And that was Experimental Film by Gemma Files. And this is about a woman named Lois Carnes who used to teach film courses at a university. But now she stays at home with her son and she is struggling with her son's recent autism diagnosis. She discovers what could be the lost films of 20th century filmmaker Mrs. Whitcomb, whose mysterious disappearance has elevated her to a bit of an urban legend. Lois becomes fixated on investigating how Mrs. Whitcomb's obsessions may have led to her disappearance, but Lois may have also invited the forces that haunted her subject into her own life. I loved this book so much it's a ghost story as if you remember the quote from the top that is actually the opening line to the book and I learned so much about this book because Lois used to teach film and there's a lot of things she explains just really with like film theory and like you know in a story you need to focus on this and directors oftentimes use this and here's what framing does and I'm like I feel like I'm learning a lot but like in a natural way that doesn't bother me I think you would like this, Rachel, because this book was so Canadian.
1: Oh, yes. I forgot that Gemma Files is Canadian.
0: People drinking Tim Hortons all over the
1: place. Oh, I am so there for that. I need this book right now.
0: (laughs) And there was also a lot on Canadian filmmaking and like the kind of films that the Canadian government will fund in certain projects. Like that's a big plot line is like getting funding and like what kind of movie are we looking at? But I thought it was also interesting... In the way that it looked at legends and not only mrs whitcomb herself who disappeared and as i mentioned became an urban legend but also kind of the legend that she herself was obsessed with i loved lois the narrator i thought she was a really well done character and a lot of people i was reading reviews said she was an unlikable character But I think an unlikable character in the way that Gillian Flynn writes unlikable characters where they're unlikable because they say things that maybe you have thought from time to time.
1: Those are the best kind. The things you think but never say out loud or admit to saying.
0: You're like, don't worry, I got you, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I would say unlike all the other movies we're going to talk about today, the movies in this are more, you know, as the title would suggest, experimental in nature. So it's more like different frames being described and Mrs. Whitcomb disappeared like decades ago so like the technology that they're using to view these very old films on is different this isn't like a movie we would see today so that part was very fascinating there's just a lot of great layers in the story you know you're chasing the mystery of the elusive female filmmaker, you're dealing with Lois and kind of her issues professionally and with her being the mother of an autistic child and her kind of juggling motherhood and these professional ambitions that she has were just really well done. I love good, strong characters and I definitely felt that from Gemma Files and I felt like the writing was very literary, which I always appreciate in horror novels. Scariness wise, I will say this is probably room temperature with a handful of fridge moments. I would love to see this adapted someday. That's my dream.
1: I'm really glad you enjoyed this one just because I know that, like you said, it's been on your TBR forever. And as soon as we agreed to do this episode, you were like, I'm reading experimental film for it. I was like, okay. You called that one. So call it. (laughs) I feel like this is half the reason we're doing this episode is because you wanted the excuse to finally pick it up.
0: Yeah. Sometimes we do that, listeners. Sometimes we just have like one book we want to read and we're like, we're going to build a whole episode just around that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because we do so much reading for the podcast that it's so much more convenient if we can kind of line up what we're feeling like reading with an episode. But yeah, this episode, the whole thing just worked for me. I loved all the books I'm talking about. The next one I want to mention is The First One You Expect by Adam Caesar. And this is a novella about a young man named Tony who lives at home in his mother's basement and works at a dead-end job as a cashier in order to pay for his passion of working as a director of these super low-budget horror films. Things get intense when he teams up with this ambitious, sexy woman named Anna who wants to launch them into fame by taking his film projects to the next level. And so they come up with a plan for a Kickstarter project that becomes a little too real when Anna's plan calls for some, let's say, real blood. And if that doesn't sound like a Rachel book, I don't know what does. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta start by saying that this was a very adult horror story with some very mature themes. I wouldn't hand this to a 14 year old personally. Tony is incredibly vulgar as a narrator. And likewise, the films themselves are very intense not mainstream at all. So just a caution to anyone who is a little bit more sensitive to that material, if that's part of the reason you steer away from certain horror stories that they tend to have more objectionable material, this might be one that's not for you. If you're like me and have no end of tolerance for adult and just inappropriate stuff, then dive right into this one with a Rachel stamp of approval. These aren't honestly the kind of horror movies I would personally like to watch. We've mentioned that I do kind of enjoy more quieter films. And these low-budget horror films are definitely much more on the intense side of pushing things to the limit. Because you're not constrained by Hollywood pressure to make something kind of for all ages. But I still thought it was so much fun. I do want to mention that i have talked about adam caesar's books in previous episodes and i have done the mistake of calling him one of those fun horror authors because i thought that those other books were indicative of his entire collection so full warning this one is dark and he clearly has an amazing range as an author so while he has books like video night and zero lives remaining which are like fun and nostalgic horror this one is quite the opposite it's very serious and is just dark, disturbing with a really great ending. Scariness wise, I'd say it was scary enough to put in the fridge, but due to the mature content, it almost requires a freezer rating just to make sure that people don't accidentally pick this up who wouldn't be comfortable with it. But again, I really liked it. Bear in mind that I have an incredible tolerance for those kind of things, and that is The First One You Expect
0: by Adam Caesar. That sounds like a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) That's why we're friends, because you (laughs) think the same things I do instead of going, oh my gosh, you read that?
0: Well, the next book I'm going to talk about is one I have previously mentioned on the podcast, but stay with me, listeners, because I mentioned it as an upcoming release, and those do not count as recommendation episodes, even though I I did recommend it on that episode because I had already read it. You know what? recommending it again. (laughs) And this is the book I was talking about, Rachel, that actually has merch. Really? Yeah, it actually has uh, some movie posters for the movies described. And that is Scream All Night by Derek Millman. This is about a young man named Dario Hayward who lives in a group home after getting emancipated from his father, who is a cult horror film director and the head of Moldavia Studios, which is located in this amazing gothic mansion of my dreams. So out of the blue, you know, he's in the group home and he gets a call from his older brother inviting him to his childhood home, which is also most studios, for a mysterious tribute ceremony involving his father. His brother convinces him that this is something he really needs to be at and he's really not saying much else. And so he kind of tries to like gather himself and kind of get in the right headspace to kind of go meet with his family again. And it's a lot about him having to face his demons and come to terms with things from his past. This is a YA novel that came out a few months ago this year in 2018. And as I mentioned on the other episode, I loved this book so much. There was just so much to love. Dario was a great character, and I loved the established culture around Dario's father. When you finally get to the ceremony, there's all these like fans and fanboys just like freaking out about being there and seeing his father. And this, as you can imagine from my description, deals with a lot of difficult topics and the complicated relationships that sometimes come between parents and children. I will say, trigger warning for mental illness and some abusive relationships. This was just very beautiful and touching. So it's definitely just like a Stephanie book, like great (laughs) character work, a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. (laughs) But in part to the fictional movies, some of those titles included are The Curse of the Mummy's Tongue and Zombie Children of the Harvest Sun with Rachel, I thought you would enjoy.
1: That sounds lovely.
0: Oh my gosh. And I know I mentioned this before, but that gothic mansion is is like the epitome of my spooky dreams all come true. Like the wings are different production areas and they're all named for different horror icons. So there's like a Bela Lugosi wing and like a Boris Karloff wing. And of course, there's like checkerboard floors and just so many great Easter eggs for horror fans. It was just such a good time. This is Room Temperature. I would say it's a YA novel and it's a lot of fun, but you're safe giving it to that teen in your life who likes horror. And that was Scream All Night night by Derek millman
1: i've heard nothing but good things about it everyone i know who's read it has just raved about it like you i don't quite have the same dreams of living in a spooky haunted mansion like you do so i don't know if that would affect my enjoyment of it
0: you didn't watch the 1990s adams family movie on repeat growing up rachel can't say
1: that i did but i have a feeling someone else did
0: i don't know what you're talking about
1: deny 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 So my last pick is B-Movie Reels by Alan Spencer. And this is about a film graduate named Andy who is hired to write commentary on a series of B-rated movies that are set between the 1950s to the 1970s. And it seems like just a fun side job for Andy. However, he ends up using a projector with supernatural powers that cause the films to come to life in the town. So while Andy innocently watches the films, monsters go about attacking the innocent townspeople. This of the three I'm going to mention is definitely the cheesiest and falls in the kind of fun horror, don't take it too seriously category, but I just think that the B-movies described in this book are really what made it so great. The plots are super cheesy and they have these great campy crazy film names like some of the films include caretaker of the zombies the mallet killer slug creatures meets octopus man which i definitely want to watch escape from cannibal clinic and hitler drinks blood So even though these films are all supposed to be fictional, I feel like there are a lot of crazy B-movies out there. So I'd be really curious to know if the author, Alan Spencer, did a little bit of research when he was writing these and maybe got some inspiration from real movies out there. And the other thing that made this book so great was reading Andy's reviews and the author actually put some of the reviews right into the book. So... When he was watching Attack of the Sludge, he was saying gamma rays are shot from space by saucer-like crafts, the source of the sludge. Whether the arrays are from aliens or the government, the plot leads you to question both and fails to explain what is the culprit. Somehow, the directors add three shower scenes, two housewives, and one entire high school football team. Perhaps this is one of the first group male shower scenes in cinematic history groundbreaking and it's just like ridiculous <laughs> and it just makes you think like if that's the review that's coming out of this like what is this like crazy
0: movie kind all of about
1: <laughs> in terms of scariness it wasn't really scary because it was so ridiculous but i'm tempted to give it a fridge rating just because a lot of bloody things transpire and there was some very gruesome scenes described so i'm not exactly sure where i want to place this but that was b movie reels by alan spencer
0: Oh, man, that does sound like a total Rachel book.
1: It's so ridiculous. Like of the three, this one's just like roll your eyes, but keep reading. (laughs) It was fun.
0: The last book I want to talk about is Saw by Patrick Lacey. The synopsis for this is Liam Carpenter isn't doing great. He dropped out of film school and is living above his aunt's garage watching obscure horror movies, mostly from Saw Studios, and working shifts at the local video store. Things start to get weird when his favorite horror director shows up in his small town to film a new Pigman sequel, and then murders start happening. There's also his new crush and a private detective that's shown up in bass falls could all of these things be connected first of all i want to say i love the cover for this book Mm -hmm. and i feel like everyone needs to go look it up and look at it because it is very eye-catching and pretty and i didn't know that it was a novella it's a quick read it's actually under 200 pages what i will say is that it has a very high body count people die all over the place you have been warned so in this book, Clive Sherman is the director of like really ultra gory 80s B-horror movies. You know, it's basically like hot girls getting chased and murdered by like a pig man is the premise of them. But I really liked the character work in the story. It still manages to be fast paced and fun. It had a lot of interesting things to say and think about in regards to, you know, finally meeting your heroes and kind of the different ways that that could turn out. And I also liked the twist that it had. It was a slasher story about a slasher movie getting made, but there's a little more to it than that. And I thought that was just really fun. As I mentioned, really, really gory. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, for that reason, I'm putting this straight into the freezer because you cannot just give this to anyone. You cannot give this to like your grandmother. This is like very, very gory, very bloody. So much fun, though. That sounds so good. I really need to read this one. It is a Rachel book. Like, I was reading this. I'm like, Rachel would like this. I think
1: I would. <laughs> it sounds like a really good pairing to the book I talked about, the first one you expect. So this would be a great follow-up novella for me because I kind of need more movie horror in my life.
0: Well, I definitely check this one out. And it's not that big of a time commitment. And, like, it's so fascinating that you will not want to put it down anyway. It's a real quick 200 pages. I'm really excited now. <laughs> so that was Bone Saw by Patrick Lacey. <laughs> So how about we talk
1: about some chilling obsessions? And I want to actually recommend a horror anthology that I watched on Canadian Netflix. And that is called XX, as in the letter X twice. And the title refers to the fact that these are four short films that are predominantly told from a female perspective, particularly three of the four films are actually told from a mother's perspective. And just like I really like female horror when it comes to books, I also really like it on the screen. And so I really connected with these ones a lot. The stories are all separated by these little creepy stop-motion clips of a dollhouse and they just kind of segment or punctuate the film and i've got to say i forgot how much stop-motion freaks me out because i found those scenes so disturbing i kept having to look away whenever it went back to the dollhouse i don't know why stop-motion bothers me it just gives me the heebie-jeebies and let's briefly talk about the films the first one was my favorite and that's called the box this is about a mother who is on a subway with her two children when a man shows her son something in a wrap box. The boy says that there was nothing in the box, but afterwards he begins to lose his appetite and refuses to eat. And the story plays with a mother's fear of not being able to care for her children as she slowly watches her son starve himself. And it's a very quiet, psychological piece of horror with a very ambiguous ending. I just thought it was so well done and really got me intrigued the entire collection of short films. The next one was The Birthday Party which is about a mother preparing for her daughter's birthday party when she finds her husband dead and tries to hide this from her daughter. It's a little bit slow but the ending is hilarious and ridiculous and I love the fact that The Birthday Party seems to be this like weird costume party so all the guests are dressed up and like Halloween style costumes which makes me wish that my own birthday parties had been that cool so that was really fun. There was one called Don't Fall about a group of friends going on an expedition in the desert when they come across these strange markings that unleash a creature on the group. It was more of a classic survival story about a monster and personally while it was gory I thought it was the weakest just because it wasn't really anything new. I feel like I've watched that kind of story so many times before and then the last story in the collection is called her only living son and this is about a mother dealing with her strange violent teenage son on his birthday while she's trying to protect him from his estranged father it's weird and dark and emotional and that's kind of describes all the stories in the collection like it's just really unique and again i personally recommend it especially to a female audience because it deals so heavily in those themes of like womanhood and mother Hood and I just really liked it. So at least it was available on Canada on Netflix and you can look for it by the title XX
0: for the female chromosome and just love that one. That sounds really interesting. Now I want to see if I can watch it. <laughs> I want to see if it's on American Netflix.
1: That's always the question. I almost thought you had watched already because it definitely seems like the kind of thing you would enjoy. I think you'd love the first story in the collection. It's so good. Yeah. It's a kind of film that i wish was a book because i just want to like read it over and over again
0: there are so many movies i watch like that in shows i'm like this would be a really good book (laughs) so my pick is a netflix original and guys i love it so much it's the curious creations of christine mcconnell and I want to do like my Stefan voice. Like, this show has everything. We have Jim Henson puppets, baked goods, spooky Victorian mansions, and a lot of Halloween love. What is this about? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> So Christine McConnell, I don't know if she started out on Instagram, but she was a blogger and she would do these very intricate kind of horror desserts like she would do these just crazy cakes and just very intricately designed like shrunken head ornaments, just like very kind of horror based desserts, basically. And so she got a show deal. It's funny because the show kind of has, like, a story. Like, she lives in this house and she takes care of these, like, creatures that are, you know, puppets. There's a little bit of a storyline, but then when it's time to bake something, she'll, like, look at the camera and go, like, when you have a friend coming over, a great way to welcome them is to bake a cake. And she builds, like, a replica of her spooky mansion, (laughs) like, in cake form. So I will say, if you're watching this because you want to be able to step-by-step bake along with her, that's not going to happen. She kind of just does a very general overview of like what ingredients she does and then you kind of just watch her work, which is fascinating to me. At one point, she makes like a Ouija board with like the actual letters and actually puts like a glaze on it and it has legs and it has, you know, just everything. It's amazing. I think part of the reason I love it is I'm just mesmerized at the stuff that she does and the amount of detail she's willing to put into it. I will say this, even though you're going to look at the thumbnail and it's going to look like it's really fun and family friendly, unless you want to have conversations with your children about like what ball gags are, I'm going to say no. The puppets make a lot of crude jokes and there's a lot of innuendos and adult humor in this. So I think at times I was watching it and I was like, who is this for? I mean, other than me, (laughs) like this isn't for families. (laughs) But if you wish Martha Stewart had like a dark kind of 50s pinup. Replica.
1: <laughs> oh, and who doesn't?
0: Yeah, who doesn't want that? Then I would definitely suggest checking it out. They're like 20 minute episodes and there's five of them and it's on Netflix. But yeah, it's just a lot of like kooky, kooky fun and a lot of really gorgeous baked goods. So that was the Curious Creations of Christine McConnell.
1: I had not heard of that at all. And my goodness. That is a unique recommendation for sure. I think that takes the cake. Literally. <laughs> Pun not intended.
0: <laughs> Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. We're also on a Patreon as a Books in the Freezer. And I want to take this time to give a special thank you to our patrons Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Denise, Anthony, Jason, Brad, Jamie, Leanne, Elizabeth, Sean, Mitch, Alicia, Christopher, Mark, Raina, Tracy, Christy, Julia, David, Agatha, Rachel, Kevin, Lisa, Mac and PT. Just seriously, thank you so much to our growing Patreon family. It really means a lot to us. If you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review on a podcast app like iTunes or Stitcher. It helps people find us. We actually have some new iTunes reviews. Our most recent one is titled TBR Out of Control, Five Stars from Brino Cheese. Recently started listening to this podcast and naturally I binged it. While I listen to this, I have my Goodreads open to add all the books recommended. My TBR list is silently telling me to stop. Love, love, love this podcast. Thank you. so much. And don't listen to that TBR. You had all the books.
1: Oh, exactly.
0: And the next review is five stars, a must for horror lovers from Lisa Quigley, our friend over at Ladies of the Fright podcast. I love this show so much. These ladies offer a nice roundup of horror book recommendations based on a specific theme. It's a great resource for deciding on what to read next and for exposure to different types of horror fiction. They are especially great at promoting horror written by authors from underrepresented demographics. Love. Thank you so much, Lisa. That is hopefully our aim here. So I'm happy to hear that. And I'll do one more fave podcast five stars from VidLux. Thank you so much for this podcast, Rachel and Stephanie. You two have helped me add so many books to my TBR. Now, if you could help me find the time to read them all. Sorry, VidLux. I do not own a time turner because those only exist in the Harry Potter universe. So I can't help you there.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of feeling bad. Apparently, we're (laughs) destroying people's TBR list left and right. But it's so nice to hear. Thank you so much, all three of you
0: and everyone else who's left reviews as well it helps a lot yes thank you so much we are just so happy that you guys are listening and like Rachel said when you review it does make it easier for people to find the show it definitely raises our visibility on the platform so thank you to everyone that takes time to do that I'm Stephanie you can find me at twitter at lady underscore ganya or on instagram at that's what she read and that's that's with two a's or on youtube at that's what she read
1: And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Shades underscore orange, or I'm always on YouTube and Instagram at
0: The Shades of Orange. So join us next time for Books in the Freezer.